0: Well, turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 19, and we are continuing our series that I actually began several weeks ago. It's kind of been broken up because uh, of different things. Uh, Donna and I have uh, been on vacation, and then Brent took over for a couple of weeks. And so there's been a couple of times that this series has been broken up into segments, but we're getting back on track now with part six of preparing for Christ's return. So we're talking about those who are prepared and unprepared. So go ahead and be turning to Luke chapter 19. I'm going to give you some preliminary thoughts before we start this. Now remember that this series has been based upon uh, the book of Matthew chapter 25 and the parable of the ten virgins. And remember that the five wise virgins had prepared themselves and were ready to meet the bridegroom upon his return. But then there were five foolish who were not as prepared. They uh, apparently piddle away their time on useless activities and were not prepared for the bridegroom's return. And when he finally did return after a long time, he said to the foolish, I never knew you. Wow. So what we want to do, of course, is to find out how to be considered among the wise virgins and not among the foolish. So, before we read this master text in uh, Luke chapter 19, I, I want to share with you an additional insight about that parable of the ten virgins that uh, my friend Pastor Mark Dorn shared with me uh, this past week. So, I want to give credit where credit is due. Just in case he's listening to the sermon, he does listen in on uh, once in a while. So, I want to give him credit for this insight. So remember that the wise virgins told the foolish ones to go and buy extra oil, since theirs were running low, go and buy extra oil from those who sell it. So the parallel there to us is that it does take some effort on our part to keep our lamps full. Right? So while salvation, now listen, while salvation cannot be "...purchased upon any good deeds of our own. Nevertheless, keeping our lamps full and our lights burning brightly is going to take some time, some effort, and maybe even some money on your part and mine. Okay? To keep our lights and lamps burning brightly in this earth. So, again, our master text today is out of Luke 19, and it's a very similar passage to uh, what we've read In the past. So if you're already there, we're going to read the first 10 verses. Stand with me and let's honor the reading of God's holy word. And it says this Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone or anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. And here's the key verse. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save What was lost. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Praise God. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Hallelujah. All right, so before we get into what I want to cover today, I just want to give you a little brief recap on where we've been so far. We've been talking about the seven signs of the prepared and the unprepared. For Christ's return, So let's go through this again really briefly. I'm not going to elaborate on these. I just want to keep us up to date, keep in the forefront of our minds all the different uh, teachings that we've had in this series so far. Since so this is probably going to go seven or eight different teachings here. So uh, let's go. One sign of the, the prepared for Christ's return is working to advance God's kingdom and not wrapped up in one's own little world. Whereas the unprepared... Their lives are totally given over to one's own uh, interests and selfish pursuits. A sign of the prepared for Christ's return is that their, their affections are set on heaven, whereas the unprepared, their affections are set on the things of this world. The prepared are committed to public worship and don't feel like it's just an optional thing that they do when the weather is ...favorable or they don't have anything else better to do. No, they're committed to public worship. Whereas the unprepared, they have a low priority on church attendance. The prepared are lovers of God's Word. They love God's Word. Whereas the unprepared have little or no time given to the Bible. The prepared seek to constantly express the love and grace of God. They try to walk in love, which is one of the greatest commandments... Whereas the unprepared, they're more concerned about justice and personal rights. And in today we're going to be talking about this. The prepared are concerned about the lost and are seeking ways to reach them. Whereas the unprepared, uh, not so much. Not much attention given to reaching the lost. So that's our topic today. As we get into that, I want to quote Ray Comfort, who said this, Do you like roller coasters? Some Christians want to try bungee jumping or skydiving. Isn't it strange? We are prepared to risk our lives for the love of fear, and yet we are willing to let a sinner go to hell for the fear of giving out a tract. Hello. That kind of is like a little smack between the eyes, isn't it? A very necessary one, I think. So then one sign of someone who is unprepared for Christ's return is that they have little, if any, concern about saving others from destruction. And no compunction, no no inspiration at all, no motivation to share the gospel with people. So let me lay out what I want to accomplish today, what I want you to get out of this teaching So first, I'm going to give you five reasons why people feel uncomfortable sharing their faith. And then we're going to have a little bit of commentary on that. And I'm going to give you at least one bad theological belief along those lines. Next, I'm going to give you what God expects of you and me along these lines where sharing the gospel is concerned. And then lastly, I'm going to offer some ways to help you to share your faith in ways that are maybe not so scary. Okay, would that be all right? All right. So, but first, let's establish the fact that God has called you to a ministry. There's not a single person in this room right now that God has not called to a ministry. And we, we find out what that ministry is in 2 Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to give you three verses out of that, that uh That chapter there, verse 11 says this, Therefore, since we know what it means to fear the Lord, we persuade men, and by implication, women. We persuade men and women about the gospel. Verse 19 says, And he has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. What's that mean? Reconciliation between God and man. That's our ministry. He has committed to us. To you and to me, the ministry of reconciliation between God and man. And then verse 20 goes on to say, and I think this is an amazing statement, by the way, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making his appeal through us. In other words, God is making an appeal to the world, God is making an appeal to those who are apart from Him, and He's making that appeal through you and me. I think that's an amazing statement. Why God would entrust feeble, imperfect mankind with such a grand plan. But yet, that's the God we serve. Praise the Lord. So, with that said then, let's jump into the five reasons why Western Christians anyway don't share their faith more readily. So first is, and this is, this is all in your notes, by the way. The first one is fear of ridicule. People just don't want to be seen as wacky or wacko, whatever. They don't want to be ridiculed. They want to, don't want to be made fun of. Well, you know, that's a very mild form of persecution. Folks, people in other countries, when they share their faith, they get thrown in prison or worse. And so a little fear of ridicule... We need to get thicker skin, I think, sometimes, don't we? We really, we need to understand that when you're persecuted for the Lord, did you know that there are rewards that are sent on ahead to your account when you're persecuted? There is a special level of reward for those who are persecuted. So don't be afraid to share your faith. The second reason is that people don't feel knowledgeable enough. And I'm going to discuss this here more in a second, but... The more you learn, the more comfortable that you should be getting with sharing your faith. And I'm going to give you a, a way here in a minute that even if you're brand new to the faith and you don't know much about the Bible yet, there are things that you can share that can be compelling to people. I'll, I'll get to that here in a moment. The third one is just simply spiritual laziness. And yes, I will address that as we get into this teaching further. Spiritual laziness. Fourthly, is shame. If you're not living right... If you're not pursuing the Lord with all of your heart, and you're falling back into some of your old ways, now that you're in the Lord, now that you're walking with Him, some of the things that you used to do, you can't do anymore without feeling conviction in your heart. The Lord won't let you get away with that. You start falling back into some of your old ways. You never would have thought about that before, maybe. And you start delving back into some of those things. Now you have a conviction on your heart. The Lord convicts you about that. And and if you're not careful, it can morph into shame. If you don't deal with it appropriately and repent appropriately, it can morph into shame. And shame will kill your progress as a believer. Especially in sharing your faith because you don't feel like you're qualified to share your faith because you haven't been acting right. Okay? So shame is another reason why people don't share their faith. And the last one is bad theology. People just have some wrong beliefs about certain things, and we're going to address that right now. In uh, an article that I found at at Barna.com, and they're they're kind of a Christian trends research group, and they talked about this. So I'm going to read this word for word. Just follow along with me. It states, "...a growing number of Christians don't see sharing the good news as a personal responsibility." Just 10% of Christians in 1993 who had shared about their faith agreed with the statement, quote, "...converting people to Christianity is the job of the local church," unquote, as opposed to the job of the individual, in other words, themselves." 25 years later, 3 in 10 Christians who have had a conversation about faith say evangelism is the local church's responsibility. That's 29%, a nearly three-fold increase in that period of time. They go on to state, this jump could be the result of many factors, including poor ecclesiology. In other words, believing that the, quote, local church is somehow separate from the people who are part of it. Or personal and cultural barriers to sharing faith. Yet the most dramatic divergence over time is on the statement, Early, uh, every Christian has a responsibility to share their faith. In 1993, 9 out of 10 Christians who had shared their faith fully agreed with that statement. That's 89%. Today, just two-thirds say so, 64%. A 25-point drop. So, I want to make something really clear to you. <clears throat> it's not the church's responsibility to evangelize, as in the leadership always having to spearhead some evangelistic campaign. The church can and should support Uh, And spearhead those efforts from time to time. But moreover, it falls to the individuals within the church to do the evangelizing. And in that sense, yes, the church is called to evangelize. Because you are the church. You get that? You are the church. See, the church is made up of the individuals within the body of Christ. See, God's idea of church, folks, is not just these organized meetings. Uh, it's, the church isn't just an organization. It's more like an organism, right? It's an organism. It's a body made up of many parts. So don't ever think or say, by the way, well, that's the church's job. That's not my job. That's the church's job. No, no, you are the church, you are the church. The church is no stronger and no more effective than the individuals who attend it. I want to get, get that really, really clear to you. The church is no stronger and no more effective than the individuals who attend it. Now, look at the screen. I've got a kind of a diagram made up of, of how evangelism is supposed to work. So uh, the, the circle up in the middle is you. And let's say you respond to the gospel, and you make a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you might share your experience with a few other people, maybe a lot of other people. And some people might then respond to the gospel themselves. And you're brand new in the faith. But you just share your experience. You just share your testimony. okay? And some people may respond. But then, as you grow in the Lord, you read, you listen, you study, and you grow. And as a result of that spiritual growth, well, you, share, you start sharing your faith with a lot of other people, and a lot more people respond. And as those people respond to the gospel, and they begin to grow, they share their faith with a lot of other people, and a lot of other people come to faith as well. So it's sort of like those... Uh, Multi-level businesses, those pyramid schemes that, that, I mean, that's if you've ever been to one of those, and I have, because I think that's a legitimate way to make money, it's just the, the, the problem is, is that you have a few people that are very motivated to work their business, and then you've got a bunch of other people under you that are not as motivated, and it doesn't end up working out very well. Uh, when you only have a handful of people that are working the business. But that pyramid that they show you in those multi-level, like Amway as an example, uh, those pyramids that they show you are based upon this model right here. They got it from the Bible. That's the way this is supposed to work. You respond to the Gospel, and then you start sharing your experience, your faith with a few other people, and maybe a few of those people respond. And then they share their faith, and a few more people respond. And before you know it, you've got dozens of people under you, so to speak, where you began sharing your faith, and it blossomed, it it began to gain momentum, and now there's a bunch of people that have responded because you shared your faith with a few people. Does that make sense? So I want you to understand something. It seems like between Brent and myself, we've quoted Charles Spurgeon a lot these days, but, but he said, have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you're not saved yourself. Be sure of that. So that's kind of a gut check for us this morning, isn't it? If you have no wish for others to be saved, you're not saved yourself. Now, on that note, I want to talk about being about the master's business for a moment. I want to read you another section here out of Matthew 24. You don't have to turn there. I just have it up on the screen for you, and we'll follow this together. There's a very, very important point I want to make out of this passage right here. So pay very close attention. Let's read this a little bit of a lengthier passage, but uh, let's let's read over this. Who then is the faithful... Before I read this, this is a parable. uh, Jesus is speaking here, so that's the context, all right? Who then is the faithful and wise servant who the master has put in charge of his household to give the others their food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly I tell you... He will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says in his heart, my master will be away a long time. And he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day he does not expect. And at an hour, he does not anticipate. Then he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place With the hypocrites, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you notice something there that the Master wants us to be about his business? So, how does this apply to you and me then? Well, again, Jesus told this parable, he told this story to make the point that God has put you and me in charge of his business until he returns. Think about the gravity of that statement for just a moment here, folks. God has delegated authority to you and me, put you and me in charge of his business until he returns. So I'm going to say something right now that may be a revolutionary thought for some of you. And it's this. A lot of people just think that God is going to do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. Regardless of what you and I do. And folks, I'm sorry, that's not what this parable teaches. That's not what this parable teaches. And it's not what the Bible as a whole teaches. It's clear that God has delegated authority in the earth to you and me. And he expects us to manage his affairs until he returns. So we can't sit back on our spiritual Recliners and say God's just going to take care of it and do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it and I can just sit here and relax and let him do all the work. A lot of people really, really misunderstand the whole idea of the sovereignty of God. I don't have time to go off into that today, but a lot of people believe the sovereignty of God simply means just that. God will do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it regardless of what his people do. That's not what that parable Teaches. I just read from the scriptures, did I not? And that's not what the overall theme of the Bible teaches either. God is, is he, he wants to work within the context of partnership with you and me. It's very clear from Genesis to Revelation that God wants to work within the partnership of his people. And a lot of times if we don't move, he won't move. Boy, you can hear a pin drop right now. It's like, it's like deer in the headlights right now. That's true. One of these days I'm going to give you a whole teaching on the, on the authority that's been delegated to us so you can understand that concept better. But we don't have time to go off into that right now. But look at this parable again. It's very clear. Jesus' message here was the master is going away and he has delegated authority For you and me to manage his business in the earth until he returns. That's the message. Okay? And yes, he will be taking inventory of how we've spent our lives and how we have handled his business while he was away. Listen, in case you didn't already know this, You need to realize that walking with Christ is not just about going to church and singing some songs and listening to a sermon. It's not even about reading your Bible. As important as all those things are, folks, and they are vitally important. But you see, all those important things are means for drawing closer to the Lord and being more productive and fruitful in His kingdom business. See, it's about being equipped to do God's business. Listen, it's about being equipped to do God's business more profitably. More profitably. That's what he's looking for. This whole thing is about reproduction. It's about reproduction. It's about expanding God's kingdom on the earth here and now. To use Jesus' own words in a different parable, the parable of the talents, the master said to the servants, "Occupy until I come. Occupy until I come back." That's Luke nineteen thirteen. Now, by the way, I quoted that there out of the New King James Version, but that word "occupy" um, is the word, uh, the Greek word pragmatumai. and it means to busy oneself, to transact. Business, to do what is necessary or pragmatic. See, pragmatumai is where we get that word pragmatic, by the way. Um, To busy oneself, to transact business, to do what is necessary or pragmatic, to administrate, to manage profitably. That's what occupy means, to manage profitably. So I repeat, this whole thing is about knowing God better and conducting his business more profitably. Now, by the way, there's some worship songs out there that are a terrible representation of true biblical theology. There's some of the more modern worship songs that are just terrible theology. Um, One of my favorites, actually, uh, worship uh, songwriters and leaders has a song that I'm not too fond of. I love the music, but there's a line in that song that says, nothing else matters except being here with you, meaning here with you in worship. Now, is worship important? Absolutely worship is important. I just read from the Psalms earlier when we did worship that it's good and fitting for us to give worship to God. However, is that the most important thing when people are going to hell and being plunged into eternity every day? If we're just basking in His presence and worship and just enjoying worship all the time while people go to hell, I would contend that that maybe is not the most important thing. Now, okay, okay, let me qualify that. While you're here, while we're together meeting as saints of God and we're worshiping together, I would agree with that line in that song that says, nothing is more important right now at this moment than to be here with you worshiping. But after we walk out these doors, there's other things that are important, okay, such as sharing the gospel with people. Don't be misled, but, man, some of these newer worship songs, you've got to check them against the Bible. And that's why, you know, there's certain worship songs I just won't sing. If some of you come to me and you you said, this is a great worship song, we ought to sing it. And, And I will analyze the lyrics very, very closely. If they're not precisely theologically accurate, I will either do one or two things. If it's just like one line or one one word, I'll change it. I'll just do a little rewriting or I'll ditch the song completely. So just because it has a beautiful melody, if the words don't line up with this right here, folks, it's not a good song. And we have, uh, you know, uh, God bless them. We have a lot of young people that are worshiping uh, uh, in worship ministry these days and are are writing songs. God bless them. But they need to be be more established in theology before we put these songs out here for people to. Anyway, I'm going off on a tangent. (laughs) Anyway, let me transition here and give you some tips on sharing your faith. Would that be okay? Would you like that? All right, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to demystify sharing your faith so that it doesn't seem like it's only the super anointed Christian superstars who do this. See, God has given each and every believer the ministry of reconciliation to God. And so therefore, it's a basic expectation of the Christ follower, and as such, anyone can do it. Anyone can do it. But the way you do it Doesn't have to look like the way I do it because we are uniquely gifted of God. So here's just a a few uh, brief suggestions for you that might help you along those lines. The first one is this. Share your own personal testimony. If you're brand new in the faith and you don't know the Bible yet, just share your experience. Here's what happened to me. Here's how I came to faith. Here's my journey. And just sharing your experience and your journey will speak to people. It will. It will speak to people. So, you know, in Revelation 12, 11, it says they triumphed over him, meaning the devil. They triumphed over the devil by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Exactly. So the word of our testimony is a very powerful evangelistic tool. See, look, nobody can argue with your experience, they might be able to argue with your theological points, but they can't argue with what happened to you personally. Okay? So your, your testimony is very, very powerful. And if you're new to the faith and you're sharing the gospel with somebody, you're sharing your experience, and they start asking you questions, you can just say, well, you know, I'm really new to the faith. I'm really new to my Bible. I don't know the answer to that question right now, but I promise you I'm going to go study it out and find out and come back with an answer for you. That's okay. It's okay for you to admit that you don't know something yet. But the power of just your testimony is a really, really powerful evangelistic tool. All right? Second point, allow it to flow naturally through the course of a comfortable conversation. Um, You know, I just admit I'm not the kind of guy that really just enjoys going out on the street and confronting strangers. I mean, I have done that before. And sometimes it's been productive. Um, but I find, at least for me personally, developing friendships or at least a friendly acquaintances with people who don't know the Lord and then inserting some things in the conversation and then allowing the conversation to develop from there is a super comfortable way for me to just share the gospel with people and, and have a listening ear. If you're having, having lunch with somebody or something or coffee, you, especially if you're out in public... At a, at a restaurant, you've got a, a captive audience right there. And not many people, when they're in a public place, are going to give you what for when you're you know, sitting at a coffee shop or a restaurant or whatever. They'll at least be polite. Most people, anyway, will at least be polite enough to listen to you and have an have a intelligent conversation with you. All right, so just let it flow now. I mean, listen, you don't have to go in with guns blazing. You can just, you know... Let the conversation flow naturally. Talk about the weather. Talk about sports or whatever it is that you have a common interest in. And then let it develop. Look for the opportunity. If you're looking for the opportunity, there will be something that arises in the conversation that, oh, that's my cue. And then you can subtly redirect the conversation on spiritual things. And sometimes it doesn't have to be a long, protracted conversation. Sometimes it can just be an insertion of a comment that makes them think. And you're planting seeds. That's okay, too. Planting seeds. Um, You know, the Scriptures tell us that uh, some plant some water and some reap the harvest. So if, if all you're doing is just planting seeds, that's good. Then later on, you can water someone else's seed. Then later on you you reap the harvest when you get to lead somebody to Christ. You know, when, when Ryan and Dawn came to faith just recently, I could already tell seeds had been planted in their lives and somebody else watered, and then I just watered it just a little bit more and boom, there was a harvest. Right? So I, I didn't really work that hard. Because they were already kind of ready, praise God. So, um, so that, that's what you're going to find as well. Sometimes it's, it seems like you're plowing up new ground. Is like, wow, this is like really, really tough sledding with this person. Well, you're planting seeds. Okay? Then at other times you may have a conversation where the person's a little bit more resistant, but maybe not as bad as the person that you planted seeds with, and, you, and you're just watering at that point. And there's other times where it's like somebody just really becomes very interested in the things of God. And maybe the, you'll, your conversation will touch something in their hearts and they'll begin to, to weep. And that they really are drawn to the things of God. And well, what's happening there is you're reaping the harvest of somebody else's work. Okay, because the Lord's already been dealing with them. Praise God. All right, let's go to the third one. Learn from your blunders. Now, if you have enough of these conversations, you're going to have somebody say something that stumps you. And folks, listen, that's okay. Don't try to act like you know everything if you don't. Just say, I don't know the answer to that question. Say, that's a really good question, and I haven't thought of that before. And I don't know the answer to that question, but I promise you, I'm going to go study that out, and the next time that we talk, I'm going to have an answer for you. And people respect that. If you try to skirt around the issue and act like you know, and they'll pick up on that. If you give them some dumb answer, they, they, they can pick up that you're just trying to, you're trying to snow them because you don't know. Just be honest. I don't know, but I'll find out for you. Okay? And then do that. Go study it out and make sure you're prepared the next time for that particular objection or question. All right? The next one is social media. Social media is a great place to share sh- short segments of the gospel with people, with a little meme or a little story, whatever. That's a great place to share the gospel. And then, here's a very important one right here. Never, 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 never be argumentative. Don't share the gospel in an argumentative, inflammatory kind of way. Don't let other people's inflammatory remarks cause you to respond in a likewise inflammatory way. Because they need to see the love of Christ in your life. You know, in um, 1 Peter um, 3.15, it says this, Always be prepared to give an answer to those who ask you to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. Very important principle right there. And then also, this one I'm going to elaborate on a little bit. You will be required at times. To be bold in certain situations, and that will come as you get more confident. Now, when I first started sharing my faith, I wasn't super confident in doing so. But the more that I learned, the more I applied myself to learning, and not just in the Bible, but with other books that complement the Bible. and, and uh, Lee Strobel's work. Uh, um, you know, there's a lots lots of different authors out there that can help you to address some of these different objections that people come up with. As I applied myself to to read and learn and study, guess what? Um, Opportunity favors the prepared. I'm going to say that again. Opportunity favors the prepared. So the more prepared I got, the more opportunities I got, and the more bold that I got. So let me share with you the most recent experience where I had sharing my faith. I was in the barber shop. I get my hair cut at a little barber shop down in Edinburgh. And that particular barber, since it's very close to Atterbury, he gets all the soldiers that come in from Atterbury. That's, all, that's where all of them get their hair cut. So I was sitting in the, one of the chairs waiting for my turn, and there was a, a soldier in the chair with a full beard. Now, I wasn't used to that, because usually, you know, people in the military are... Clean shaven, high and tight, you know, and he had a full beard. And the, 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 the barber asked him, So um, they're letting you keep a full beard in the military? Uh, and he said, Yeah, it's a religious exemption. And when I heard that, I had to jump on that. <clears throat> I said, Really? What, what religion are you? And no lie. He said, I'm a pagan. And I, at first I, I busted out laughing because I thought he was joking. And then I realized, oh, he's not joking. And so he, he literally adheres to this polytheistic philosophy where there's all kinds of different gods. He believes in Thor as a legitimate god. He believes in all these different gods. He's what they call polytheistic, meaning he believes in all these different gods, and, it's a, and he's a self-proclaimed pagan. So, man, I, I had to, I, I couldn't let that go. So, um, so when he said that, I said, really? Uh, tell me more. So see, that's one way that you can get people to become interested in a conversation by you showing interest in what they believe. That's the first time I've ever heard of that belief system, I said. Tell me more. And so he began to share with me. And then I said, you know, that's really interesting. Let me give you a different perspective on that. And then I hit him with both barrels with the gospel. Just as he was sitting there in in the chair, and guess what? The barber shop was full. The whole room got to hear me proclaim the gospel. And he was coming back with his own little feeble answers. And I said, yeah, but, but, and then basically I shared the gospel with him. And I found out that he was raised in a Baptist home. And I said, you know what, what your parents taught you growing up, probably a lot of that was right on point. And you've drifted off course into something that doesn't even resemble anything close to what's going to get you to heaven or what's going to make you right with God. What if you're wrong? What if you're wrong and your parents were right? What if I'm right and you're wrong? And uh, we, we didn't get him saved that day, but uh, he got to the point where you could tell um, at first he was kind of boisterous and, and vocal and sharing and kind of combating what I was having to say and then the more I just felt the power of the Holy Spirit, the more I talked, the more I felt the strength of the Holy Spirit just welling up in me. And man, it was like. <laughs> and it got to the point where he was just kind of taken aback and was just sitting there, just taking it all in. And he said, You've really given me something to think about. So sometimes you have to get bold, you have to jump on those opportunities that present themselves because you will be in a situation from time to time where those situations do present themselves and God has planted you there to address that situation if you're bold enough to do it. And you're prepared enough to do it. See, if I had not been a a student of the Scriptures and a student of materials that complement the Scriptures, like Lee Strobel's work, uh, Josh McDowell, people like that, uh, I would have not been prepared for that moment. But God knew I was prepared, so He arranged for me to be there while that man was in that barber chair, and I could share the gospel with him and draw him back to his roots and away from his current pagan belief system. So praise God. Here's some other tips for you, um, just really simple ones. Always pray over your food when you're out at a restaurant. And if possible, do it while your waiter or waitress is nearby. Let them know that you're people of faith, and then tip them really good. (laughs) Tip them really good, because even if you don't get in a conversation with that person, that sheds a really positive light on the gospel right there. And the next time you're in there, if you happen to have that same waiter or waitress, and this has happened at times, um, they'll, they're very appreciative. As a matter of fact, I've heard stories where um, people who tip very, very well, and they come into the restaurant and the next time, that waiter or waitress will, will ask, I want that person's table. And then you get, and you, now you have a platform to share the gospel with people, because guess what? A lot of people don't correlate money with the effectiveness of the gospel. But guess what? Money talks. It does. You know, you lay down a, a 40% tip and that gets people's attention. And now you have a platform by which to share the gospel with them. And come with a tract. Lay a track down. If you, even if you're shy if you tip really good and you lay a track down, and I've got a couple of these up here, we've got both of these back in our resource room where the, the coat hangers are. This is on a table back there. We have, these are both generated from right here, Blessed Life Fellowship. This one is You Were Born with a Purpose. It's really short, it's a very brief presentation of the gospel. Take some of those. We can always make more if we run out. This one is called Lose Your Religion. Okay? Lose your religion. And it uh, talks about a relationship with Jesus Christ is not necessarily a rigid religion in the sense that a lot of people think of that term. Okay? So it's an opportunity for you to share the gospel with people, even if you don't get in a conversation with them. Okay? So that's, those, these are back there. Feel free to take some of those. We, if we run out, we'll order more. No problem. Um, Other tips for you. Uh, Look for signs that God might be dealing with a person. And again, if you're paying attention, you you can pick up through the Spirit on how God might be dealing with a person. And then take that opportunity to ask to pray for them or to share something that might be meaningful to to him or her. Uh, Another experience that I had is that my family and I, our custom is after church, we will uh, gather up our family, Hannah and Noah and their family, and Donna and myself and Drew, and we'll go out to our restaurant, and we'll have, uh, we'll have lunch together, and then we'll go back to the house and hang out. That's kind of our family uh, Sabbath, if you will. So we were at a Cracker Barrel, very busy, very packed, and the, the waitress that called on us, she just had a look to her, and it just ha- must have been the Holy Spirit that helped me to pick up on this. She had a look to her like, life has smacked her around for a long time. And and so I just began and it's just compassion began to well up in me. And I and I said when she came to the table I said, "You know what? I'm I'm picking up on I just believe the Lord has showed me that you've had a really tough time, haven't you?" And she stopped for a minute and she went, "Yes, I have." And I just began sharing with her. I said, um, you know, the Lord loves you, and he has good things in mind for you. And uh, I just began to share with her, and tears began to well up in her eyes. I said, can I pray for you? This is right in the middle of Cracker Barrel's dining room, and we stood up with everybody else around. I began to pray for her and minister to her right there in the middle of Cracker Barrel with her crying. So it's, it's amazing what God can do if you just pick up on little cues that the Holy Spirit gives you. And if you ask him, he will allow you to discern certain things about certain people where he wants you to minister to them. This won't be every single person. Even Jesus didn't minister to every single person, but he ministered to those that the Father showed him. And the Holy Spirit will do the same thing to you. He will allow you to minister to those and pick up and discern those who are ready to have the implanted word into their hearts. And when you come along, bam, they're ready and it makes a big impact. Even if you may not get a sinner's prayer or something that day, you have planted and watered what God is doing in their lives right now. And who knows what impact that's going to have down the road. Somebody else will get to reap the harvest of leading them to Christ at some point. Isn't that wonderful? Praise God. Now, I want to give you a caution here. Because there's some wacky sayings out there that have nothing to do with the gospel. And here's one right here. Don't fall for this possibly misleading axiom. And you probably all heard this. Share the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Who's heard that? Okay, several of you. Okay, don't fall for that. Now, I'm, I'm going to elaborate on this. See, if you don't guide people to the truth using words, they'll fall for all kinds of wacky notions on their own. And Satan will make sure of that, by the way. Now, I kind of understand what this is saying because the gospel must always be accompanied by a lifestyle that honors Christ. Yes, that's what this is saying. But the presentation of the gospel requires words. Requires words accompanied by the lifestyle that honors Christ. Jesus went around doing good and preaching the gospel. Paul was a very intelligent, articulate man who reasoned with people. He spoke to them. So it wasn't just, look at my lifestyle, it's listen to my words. Listen to the presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul was an opportunist, by the way. Can I say that about Paul? You know, he went into one city that was a a pagan, idol-worshiping city. And he was going down the road looking at all these statues of all these different gods and these these plaques. And they had one that said, to an unknown God. And he went, ah, that's my opportunity. So he said, let me tell you about this unknown God that you have this statue or plaque or whatever, whatever it was. And then he began to minister to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. He began to minister to them that God, Jehovah, is the creator of the universe. So he jumped on that. He saw the opportunity. He jumped at it. And that's the kind of attitude we need to have. We need to be looking for opportunities and then jump on them when they present themselves. All right, I'm almost done here. But I want to go back to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and talk just for a moment again about if you've ever wondered what your ministry is. So we're going to end by rereading that text out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 regarding what our ministry is. And then I want to give you an illustration to drive this point home. So let's read that text first. So once again, it says, Therefore, since we know what it means to fear the Lord, We persuade men. And he has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making his appeal through us. What an amazing thought. All right, so I'm going to give you an illustration. I need some volunteers from the audience. Um, um, Lillian Samaro, if you would come up here since you're close. And uh, Matt, you come up here too if you would. Since you're close. That's what you get for sitting near, the, near to the front row. Glutton for punishment. So, so all you two have to do is just, just stand there. Matt, I'd like for you to stand right there. And so, yeah, just stand up on the platform there. Uh, so, so let's say Matt is a person who is serving the Lord... And he's actively involved in evangelism. We down here, us three down here, we're in the quicksand, the mire of sin. We're steeped in sin. We're sinners that are apart from God's grace. We're sinking in the quicksand, okay? But Matt reaches out to one of us and he shares the gospel and he pulls pulls one of us up, up to where he is, and now we're out of the quicksand, and now he's led a sinner to salvation and saved us from the doom that would have surely occurred had Matt not shared the gospel and pulled me up out of the miry clay, as the Bible says, or the quicksand. Okay, But then let's say after I'm saved, I'm like, oh, hallelujah, praise God, and we're singing our little happy, clappy worship songs, and I forget all about those two. Right, And they're still sinking in the miry clay, they're still sinking in the quicksand of sin, but I'm over here enjoying my new life in Christ, and I'm enjoying my worship, and I'm enjoying all the things that, you know, that life has to offer, and uh, life in Christ has to offer, and they're over there sinking in the quicksand. I forget all about them. I've been saved, I got helped by somebody. But I'm not willing to reciprocate to go down and help those two. Do you see the point that I'm making? Okay, thanks guys. That's all I needed. All right, so let me tie this into the Thanksgiving holiday since we just celebrated that. You know, at some point somebody probably reached out to you and shared the gospel with you or or at least invited you to church or something. Am I right? So you were grafted into God's family through the efforts of other people, correct? And we need to now pay it forward, as the saying goes. We need to pay it forward and allow God to work through us now in order to reach other people who are in the sinking sand as well. And doing so, folks, is an expression of gratitude, Gratitude, because you too were once lost, but now you're found. See, it would be the ultimate expression of ingratitude to not be involved in God's search and rescue mission of other people. Amen. See, not everyone will respond positively, of course, when you begin sharing your faith. We know that. Not everyone's going to respond positively. As a matter of fact, at times you might get persecuted. The Bible says that all who desire to live godly will be persecuted at times. You got real excited about that, didn't you? (laughs) Not everyone's going to respond positively. But as amazing as it seems, God is still making His appeal to the rest of the world through you and through me. Isn't that an amazing thought? That he would entrust us, we imperfect people, to the ministry of reconciliation. Praise God. Donna, did you have anything? Go ahead and come on up and, and get ready to play. Did you have any, anything to add? Just a little thing to add was that you were saying that people don't normally equate Christianity to Money, but yes, they do. I've heard terrible stories about Sundays. Servers don't like to work on Sunday because Christians are terrible tippers. (laughs) So I have heard that it is equate. They equate us to small tippers. So we want to we want to give a different example of the gospel. We want to we want to be very very generous on that day. Amen. Amen.